To outsiders, Congress seems totally gridlocked. Bills get bogged down in partisan fights. Party leaders openly smear each other. We heard about the budget mess in our last podcast, but our guests today show that if you look a little closer, you'll find a group of dedicated members of Congress working across the aisle to get things done. This is Let's Find Common Ground. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. On this episode, we talk to two members of the Congressional Problem Solvers Caucus. This group is equally split between Democrats and Republicans who are committed to finding common ground on key issues facing the country. Republican Congressman Don Bacon is a retired brigadier general in the U.S. Air Force. He represents Nebraska's 2nd District. Democrat Kurt Schrader is a former veterinarian. He represents Oregon's 5th District. We start with a question for Congressman Schrader. When we look at media coverage of Congress right now, it seems like we're at an absolute low point for cooperation between the two parties. How do each of you see it at the moment? I disagree, to be honest with you. Uh, I think we have terrible leadership, and that causes folks like Don and I a lot of problems because it seems to me our leadership tries to divide us on a regular basis, and they they cater to the extremes of our parties. And that's not where America is. Certainly not my constituents. I think both Don and I come from a background where there's equal numbers relatively of Democrats, Republicans, and independents. And certainly our country's that way. The last election was very close. There was no landslide victory, no landslide victory the election before that. This last election, you know, frankly, Don and I stepped up, man. Uh, we did the right thing. We made sure that we represented our districts, our state, and our country. And we weren't on a party ideology deal. You know, the infrastructure bill, that would never have occurred if it wasn't for, you know, the Problem Solvers Caucus that Don and I are members of. So we helped get that thing going after the talks between Capito and Biden fell apart. And we made sure down the final stretches that it was still bipartisan, despite efforts, particularly on my side, to make it a partisan exercise. And, you know, there's members working really hard to work together. And that's what our Problem Solvers Caucus is all about. We made a difference this year. I sure appreciate hearing Kurt's comments on this. I, I see some contrast, no doubt. I mean, this last election with you know, President Trump and the impeachments, and then you had the certification. And I mean, so there's a lot of anger on both sides. You can feel it. It's, you know, it's palpable. But yet in the midst of that, we have a group of folks who are trying to find common ground and so I would say there's goodness in the middle of the, the badness you see around here in D.C. Kurt Schrader, you're the Democrat in this conversation. You made a pretty strong comment there just a few moments ago about the leadership and why it's not doing what it should. Are you talking about the leadership of both parties in Congress? Yeah, I am. I'm, you know, I'm talking about the Pelosi's, the McCarthy's, uh, the Schumer's and the McConnell's. Their job should be to get us to work together. Every organization I've ever been, my own business, I'm a veterinarian in the real world. And, you know, my job is to make sure my team work together. Uh, otherwise, we couldn't deliver for my consumers, for my clients, for my patients. And frankly, in my state legislature, I don't know about Nebraska, but in Oregon, the leadership would make sure that, you know, despite our differences that Don talked about and quite real, that at the end of the day on issues that really mattered the most, the bread and butter issues to most Americans, uh, that we got the job done. Our leadership doesn't do that. 
our leadership, you know, runs one messaging bill up the up the flagpole after another that has no chance of passing the other side. I had to push to develop a prescription drug cost reduction plan through that I got beat up for by the far left because it wasn't the same bill that had failed twice before. However, I work closely with senators as well as my fellow members in Congress. Uh, our problem solvers group actually played a part in this product too. And we developed a prescription drug plan that's going to reduce costs for seniors dramatically. You know, their maximum out-of-pocket cost would be 2000 bucks a year. The insulin wouldn't cost more than 35 bucks a year. I mean, it's it pretty phenomenal stuff. And yet I got beat up because I wasn't following the party doctrine. You know, there's ways to get stuff done. Our leadership should be doing a much better job bringing members together. They just don't do that. I think Kurt's on to something. Uh, the majority parties, and I'm not just picking on the current majority party. I saw it in the 115th Congress. There's this culture that we're going to pass the perfect bills for our party. We can do it because you got 218 votes plus, but it has no chance in the Senate. And that was what I observed in the 115th Congress. We passed a record number of bills out of the House. Uh, very strong Republican, conservative type bills. And if you're Republican, you're like, wow, this is great stuff. I mean, 98% of it went nowhere in the Senate because you couldn't get 60 votes. And so my takeaway is we got to start working together from the beginning. Yes. Uh, we, we leadership's going to do this that says, okay, if I can get a bipartisan bill out of the House, I can get 60 votes out of the Senate. And we have to have a cultural change. We can't be demanding 100% in the majority party. We should be taking maybe 60 or 70%. But the, the other party's got to have a, a slice out of this because you'll never get 60 votes in the Senate. And that's the way it was designed. The filibuster was designed to ensure that we have more consensus and a more centrist policy so you don't go left or right. But the House doesn't operate with that in the mindset. We should operate with that as a foregone conclusion ahead of time from the beginning that we got to do that and, and not at the end. You're obviously both really passionate about working together, but there are 58. I mean, it's it's actually a fraction, isn't it, of the House. So why aren't there more of you? Why aren't there more problem solvers? I'll, I'll jump in on this one, maybe to start off and sort of flip around here a little bit. 80% to 90, somewhere in there. I don't know, it varies a little bit depending on the election, a hard Republican or the hard Democrat. And so there's very few competitive districts now, which I think competitive districts lend itself to more folks want to be the problem solvers working together because you have to. I mean, in my district, it's 37% Republican, 36% Democrat, and the balance is uh, independent or you know not aligned. And uh, so, but if you have a hard Republican, hard Democrat districts, it tends to put people more in the progressive wings of the Democrat Party or maybe the, you know, Freedom Caucus or, you know, more strident on the RSC side or, or the Republican Study Committee, which is more conservative groups. But we do need to grow this 58 to 100. The problem is with the last redistricting that we're seeing, it's actually becoming more polarized after all the new districts we're seeing. There's going to be fewer competitive districts, which concerns me because it's going to be harder and harder to find consensus builders if that's the case. Don's right. The gerrymandering that goes on uh, to create these districts is a travesty. If the districts were more balanced, more reflective of the general populace, and we didn't pack all the Republicans in one district or pack all the Democrats in the other district. No, they live in an echo chamber. All they hear uh, is from that one party. Don and I hear from everybody. We don't have an echo chamber. When I get my mail, whether it's email, hard mail, phone calls, you know, on any given issue, I'm hearing from both sides. I got a, you know, a two thirds that like this bill, one third that doesn't, then it flips around on the next bill. 
And that keeps us thoughtful. You know, we can't get out in left field or right field and be effective anyway. We can pretend, we can say all these outrageous statements, make sure all you guys in the media world love us, uh, or we could be effective. And like Don and I choose to be effective. We're supposed to govern. We're not supposed to sloganize. We're not a bunch of activists in Congress. We are members of Congress. We are governors of our great country. We're the ones that make the laws and that's what we're elected to do. So at some point we got to put all this passion into effective legislation to drive the country forward. That's what we're all about. And how would you rate your progress so far? The best years I've had in the United States Congress was 2020. We saved the country. If it wasn't for the COVID relief bills, it were almost universally bipartisan, by huge bipartisan margins. We passed four or five bills. We literally saved our country. The problems we're facing now are, are we're victims of our own success. I mean, we've kept demand up. We've encouraged to get a lot of people to stay in their homes. We've uh, let small businesses survive. We did great stuff. When the country really needs us, we showed up. This infrastructure package, the bipartisan infrastructure, that's huge. Biggest investment ever in American infrastructure. And we've done it, to your point, in the most partisan environment ever. We can get stuff done if we work at it. Still, there is a feeling that Congress could do more. Recently, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, who's a Republican, said he decided not to run for the U.S. Senate. Why? Senate Republicans reportedly told him they just wanted to hold out against President Biden until the end of his term. Don Bacon says part of this unwillingness to play ball is that Joe Biden ran as a centrist but isn't governing as one. There are things that we can do if, if we have, uh, I think, the executive decide to be a little more centrist in his things. Right? This last year, though, my sense of it was, it was, hey, we got a chance to do reconciliation. We can get some overreaching bills. And that was hard for most Republicans to be a part of. The, thankfully, the infrastructure bill is a, an exception. And I think it's an example of what we can do when we're working together. And there's other areas that we could do this with. Uh, I think the infrastructure bill... Unfortunately, you know, Kurt said that his leadership tried to make it more partisan. Well, so did ours. And there was no need for it. President Trump wanted even a bigger bill, right? And we've been wanting infrastructure for about two decades. Now, this should have been an easy one, and it was still hard. But I think it was, but it was an example of what we can do when we're working together. I was going to ask you about the infrastructure bill and, and what went into that, all the, the sort of what went on behind the scenes to get that done. It was sausage making, and I hate to say that because my name's Bacon. <laughs> I'll tell you, it was fun working this out. I, I felt when President Trump came out and said he wanted infrastructure, the problem solvers had already started, and this is something we can do. Uh, but it, there was three or four other priorities from the previous president, so we just, just didn't get there, and it got too too nasty between him and Speaker Pelosi, I believe. So there were some dynamics there. But after the election, the problem solvers didn't say, okay, we're done. We got more serious. And there's a subset that really put a lot of time into it. And we came up with about an 80% solution, I'd say 90% solution. That's when the senators said, hey, we would like to take it because we got to get 60 votes in the Senate. I think we had six Republican, six Democrat senators. We sort of took this on. And then we would meet with them once a week, once every two weeks, where we'd go back and forth. And really, the senators took our 80% solution, and they finished it off. And they got you know a very good bipartisan vote out of the Senate. Could even been better, but there's already some partisan clouds coming in on this thing. But, you know, when you have Leader McConnell voting for it, uh, my good friend, one of my best friends, Doug Fisher, voting for it, Senator Grassley, that's a pretty good bipartisan bill. And then it came back to us and 
for some reason, then both leadership tried to ground this thing out. And I'm going to tell you, it was the problem solvers. I got to give Josh Gottheimer credit here for insisting that it get delinked from the Build Back Better bill. And that's what Pelosi and, the, and a lot of the progressives want to link them together, which that means it was going to be a partisan bill. On the other hand, our guys, uh, our leadership just didn't want to give a victory, but it shouldn't have been seen that way. This is a victory for the country. I, too, uh, was overjoyed and really pleased when I saw the Senate vote. You know, uh, it was pretty, pretty dramatic. McConnell voted for the thing. And I thought, all right, we're done. We're done. We're good. Comes over to the House and Pelosi sits on it. And I'm going, what's going on here? And it was all this, you know, the, the far left didn't have faith enough in the rest of their social agenda that it could pass on its own, say, one to link it to our bipartisan infrastructure bill. And that was not the deal we made with Don Bacon. The Democrats of the Problem Solvers Group made a deal with our Republicans of Problem Solvers Group. They're, you know, we're, this is a separate bill. You know, we, we did good work here. To John's point, we helped birth it and Senate made it its own. The president adopted it. It was a huge priority, a huge priority for the country. And we were adamant we were going to keep the faith with our Republican colleagues and the American people and keep this as a standalone, excellent bipartisan infrastructure bill. The best known members of Congress are very often the hardliners. There's the gang of four in the House on the left, Bernie Sanders. And then on the right, we hear a lot from Josh Hawley and from Ted Cruz and from other hard right members. Is there any frustration that the media is always about clashes and controversies and doesn't cover the center, doesn't cover the areas of agreement, the friendships that you have? One of my colleagues recently said there's show horses and there's workhorses. And a lot of the show horses are on TV. They get a lot of coverage. A lot of people say, hey, we want you to be like this person or that person. I'll say, hey, that person's got, didn't even get a single bill passed you know, in this Congress. Or I mean, they, they have much influence on any legislation. They may have a lot of influence on, on TV, uh, whether it's MSNBC or Fox, whatever. Uh, but in the end, it's, we're here to be legislators and we need more workhorse mentality. And uh, the media doesn't glue to that. But in the long run, good policy is good politics. Well, I'll be a little blunter. The media is the problem. Media is terrible. Uh, social media is horrible. It undermines the fabric of democracy. And I'm you know, present company accepted, Richard, but I am very disappointed in how the media showcases these extreme people uh, for ratings and to get people to view your site. I get it. You know, it's America. Do whatever you want. But there are the workhorses that Don talks about, like he and I, that uh, that's fine. Cover all these other people. Uh, we're going to try our best to get the job done. And America, to the outset of the show here, was about how divisive we are. Well, it really isn't that way, and we could be better, but you showcase all the divisiveness. You don't talk about the stuff that we agree on. You don't talk about all the veterans' bills that constantly get you know nearly 400 votes apiece or more uh, every time they come up, or the Energy and Commerce Committee that uh, we're on that you know talks that where it's almost always bipartisan stuff on the drug addiction front, you name it, but you guys never cover that. You never cover that. The media, with all due respect, huge problem for Congress. Congressman Kurt Schrader and Don Bacon on Let's Find Common Ground. A couple of minutes ago, we heard the name Josh Gottheimer. He's co-chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Other leading members we'll hear mentioned include Tom Reed and Brian Fitzpatrick. Our interview continues in a minute. 
I'm Ashley. I'm Richard. We have a special episode of Let's Find Common Ground coming up. It's being released next week to mark Black History Month. The theme of this year's celebration is Black health and wellness. We'll discuss that and other themes and include special moments from past podcasts and public events from Common Ground Committee. Race represents both a challenge and an opportunity in finding common ground. We're calling our upcoming episode special for good reason. Now, back to our interview with Republican Representative Don Bacon and Democrat Kurt Schrader. You've talked about the infrastructure bill that was passed with a great deal of help from Problem Solvers Caucus. How important is your caucus in getting things done in Congress? And are there prospects for for more progress this year? I think we're the hope of the future. Richard, I think we're the blueprint of how this is supposed to work. If you want to get 60 votes in the Senate on a hard bill, you better have a blueprint like problem solvers for getting it out of the House so that you have a a good mix of Republican and Democrat support. If you're going to pass something on a party line vote out of the House, it's it's dead on arrival in the Senate, bottom line. Our caucus's value is sometimes when on major as well as not so major legislation, particularly major legislation where their leadership is having trouble getting consensus from both sides of the aisle. But but it's an important piece of legislation, whether it's uh, dealing with the uh, the border issues, the southern border issues. Where we played a huge role as problem solvers in that mm-hmm. about three, four years ago, uh, whether it's an infrastructure bill. Um, when things start to fall apart, a lot of times the Problem Solvers Caucus, because we talk to each other, because we break bread every week, uh, we're the only, the only place in Washington, D.C. where members of Congress from both parties sit down on a regular basis and talk to one another about these types of issues. We have work groups on these big issues of the day that Don alluded to, for instance, on the transportation piece. We have one on prescription drugs. We have you know, lots of different work groups. So we're poised and ready to jump in. That's that's the sweet spot for the Problem Solvers Caucus. When things look the bleakest, we can step in and sometimes bring a little sunshine. There's a new development too that I'd like to just update. This year, we started working with the senators that are in the same mindset, uh, 12 of them in particular. And this is really good because you get the synergy now of like-minded senators and what they're willing to do. And that really has made us even better, I believe. So this is the I think the next step forward, if you want to have government that's working and and getting things done. Well, alluding to difficult things for a minute, within problem solvers, is there concern about potential political violence, either in the upcoming midterms or the 2024 presidential election? Is that something you talk about? I haven't much with the problem solvers. I mean, I, I am concerned about this. In 2016, the legitimacy of the election was brought in question, a lot of charges of was Trump colluding with the Russians. I think Mueller laid 95% of that to rest. Now we had 2020, it even got worse with the delegitimizing elections. And, and now we're, even this last press conference with President Biden, there was a little bit of, you know, will 2022 be legitimate or not? This is not good. This undermines our great country. Respecting election results is critical. And peaceful transition of power is part of the reason we are that bright, shiny city on a hill. I think we as representatives got to do better. And I think our, our American people got to do better here. We got to 
we have the greatest country in the world and we got to pass it on to our kids and grandkids. But this delegitimizing elections undermines that. I totally agree. Totally agree with Don. When January 6th occurred, we don't agree all the time. And there was concern about members of our caucus that were not inclined to validate the electoral count. And rather than yell at one another, rather than threaten one another, Josh and Tom and Brian decided to have a conversation. And we talked about it. We talked about why different members said, here's why I've I feel I'm upset with you. And here's uh, and the other member would say, well, here's why I voted the way I did. And it was a tough conversation, but it was a good conversation. It was an ethical conversation. And, you know, out of that, I'm not sure we change each other's minds on anything, but we at least listened to one another. And I'd like to say maybe respected the other person's point of view, didn't agree with it maybe, but respected that He's a fellow American. He represents 700,000 Americans or she. And okay, let's move forward. This is ultimately, as Don said, a great country. If we start undermining the electoral process, we're in big, big trouble. Is there any generational difference that you've noticed between those in Congress who are willing to work together, such as problem solvers, and those who aren't? Or is it across the board? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, you know, some of the newer members, I think, are more radicalized on the left and the right. But I don't think it's a generational thing. Uh, to be honest, with Bernie Sanders, for God's sakes, you know, and then you've got uh, Ocasio-Cortez. They both are similar in their philosophies. There's a little bit of difference generationally between them. So I, I don't think so. I think it gets more to the way these districts are constructed and the fact that they're less and less competitive to Don's earlier comments. And you know, as a result, there's these echo chambers where activist groups instill uh, disagreement, sometimes irreconcilable disagreements. I don't think it's generational either. I, I agree with Kurt. I've seen consensus builders that are more senior and consensus builders are more younger and, and, and the opposite as well. I've seen good, bad, ugly, young, and I've seen good, bad, and ugly, old. <laughs> I hope I'm on the good side. I <laughs> The caucus, the Problem Solvers Caucus, represents just a fraction of the House. Are both of you hoping to grow its size? Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, there are a lot of folks who agree with us, but are afraid to speak out because they're afraid of the far left or the far right. Uh, I think there's an appetite among most members of Congress, the vast majority of members on the Republican side and on the Democratic side, to work together and get stuff done. And most of the issues we agree on, we disagree maybe on methods to get there, but that is the role of the Problem Solver Caucus. Let's sit down and talk about that and see if we can bridge those procedural differences to get to what we really want at the end of the day. So yeah, we hope to grow it. I think as uh, we make a more and more of an impact like we did this past year and the year before that, uh, there's gonna be more interest. But we want people that are truly problem solvers. We don't want people in there that are going to say, yeah, I'm a problem solver, and then not endorse bills, not work with us, not stand in there when the fight gets pretty tough. So we want to make sure it's an effective group. I hope we will grow. But, you know, the less competitive districts come out of this redistricting probably is an influence that will make that harder. On the other hand, if the voters demand a country that's going to get things done and they want to have more centrist policies, then the voters have have a choice here and they can put in people uh, that, that will campaign and, and make those promises. 
I'll just say that this thing with the infrastructure bill, in one way, was a refining moment for me. I mean, I had to stand up against our leadership. I took a lot of heat. And so it was a refining in that way, but it was also defining because in the end, I knew this was a good bill. I leaned into it. I was at every media. I went to all these town halls. I was doing everything, saying, talk about this bill. And I think we weathered the storm. And and I think this is really it's strengthening for the future, whatever I'm working on, because right makes might. And I feel like we were on the right side of this. And we're in, in the end, we're going to win because it was the right thing to do. Congressman Don Bacon and Kurt Trader on Let's Find Common Ground. You can find out more about the work of the Problem Solvers Caucus at problemsolverscaucus.house.gov. You can also go back and listen to an episode we did in 2020 with two other problem solvers. Episode 15 was with Representatives Brian Fitzpatrick and Abigail Spanberger. Find it at commongroundcommittee.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.